Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He who could have cast the first stone at the adulterous woman, but instead of exacting the punishment due her, what did he do? He showed what? Mercy. Her blood could not pay for her sin, and her behavior did not merit his mercy. She was guilty. She was caught in the act. She was in need of mercy. Daily, whether we remember it or not, or whether we know it or not, we are in need of this very same mercy from God. David, after he was confronted by the heinous ungodliness of his committing adultery with Bathsheba, trying to cover his sin, and when he could not, having her husband Uriah, a brave and valiant man, having him thrust deeper into the battle, ultimately killing him. David was confronted with that sin. Sin I hope none of us can even comprehend. And yet, his prayer became God's word. Isn't that an amazing thing? His prayer... The prayer of this man, a man we would not have picked, a man that we would not approve of, a man that we would have maybe written off. His prayer becomes our prayer today, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, 
O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. And thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we hear the contrite prophetic prayers of your servant David, guilty as he was of so much evil, soiled so deeply with the stains of sin, yet indeed you washed him, he led your people, his songs and psalms that he has written have become our prayers. Oh God, if there is hope for him, there is hope for me and hope for all of us today. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And so we come into your presence, Lord, not fearful that you will strike us down for not being worthy to be in your presence, but you have invited us, O God. We come today answering that invitation, wondering why it was sent, knowing that we don't deserve it in any way. And Lord, we long for you to forgive us, to wash us, as David said, wash us with hyssop that we might be clean. Wash us that our sins that are scarlet may be white as wool. Speak to us from heaven. Change us that our lives, Lord, would reflect what you have called us. You have called us holy. And we know that we are not. But help us, O God, to understand because you have said we are. We are. And we should live that way every day. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. remain standing for just a little bit longer as I read to you my text from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners... They said unto the disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole 
have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. Lord, I'm already overcome with emotion just hearing your word read and remembering how you called me. I didn't know what I was when you called me, but I know better now. I pray today as we look into this story, the calling of Matthew, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would leave different than we came here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Some of you might be familiar with Paul Harvey. He used to do this thing where he would tell a story, and it would be at the beginning of his newscast, and then he would go on with his newscast without telling the rest of the story. And then at the end he would say, remember what he would say? And now, the rest of the story, right? And uh, this morning when I woke up, I had actually been thinking about this and maybe even dreaming about it a little bit. And so I'm going to, my sermon's going to have a little, uh, a little extra caveat to it than I would have placed on it before. So I'm going to tell you the beginning of the story, and then I'm going to preach, and then at the end I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Herod the king laid violent hands on a lot of people in the church. And it was a really, really rough time in the church. In fact, so much so that they took John's brother, James, and the king beheaded him. Now, I'm sure this was certainly unexpected. And the Jews were very excited about this. And so they, the Jews went and had Peter arrested Now, the Bible says this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when they seized Peter, because it was very predictable where Peter would be and what he would be doing, he would be in the synagogue. When they seized him, they put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. And you know what they were going to do? They were going to do just what they had done to James. So the church was greatly distressed. Everybody say, greatly distressed. How many of you have things happen in your life that have greatly distressed you? And you don't really know what's going to happen next. And what does it generally do to us? It drives us to our knees and we begin to pray. Oh God, they had just seen James who they all loved, who had walked with the Lord They were kind of almost swelling with enthusiasm in the growth of the church. And Herod the king takes James, the brother of John, and cuts his head off. And then they take Peter. The church doesn't know what to do. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer, everybody say earnest prayer, was made for him to God by the church. All right. I'll get back to that later. 
Now we are returning to the life of Christ as found in the four Gospels and we are on week 48. And as I was reviewing the ground that we have covered, I can see now that I could have been a little bit more chronological than I intend to be going forward. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are things that are happening in Mark chapter 2 that are not happening until Matthew chapter 9. And so when you're reading and you're trying to just figure out where and think, you you can't just read it. You, You literally have to like build a graph on a wall to figure out what happened before what. And I did not build a graph on my wall. Uh, I was confident, uh, unrightly so, that I knew certain orders of things that happened and I was wrong. But I'm very glad that I covered the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount, I really do believe, uh, frames the actions of Christ throughout His ministry. And is it intended uh, as a snapshot, or, or even better yet, as I preached before, a masterpiece of God to show us what kingdom life can be like. Um, so here in our text... We come to the call of Matthew, the gospel writer, also known as Levi. Everybody say Levi. Levi. So in in Mark chapter 2, as we read it, it doesn't say that this is Matthew, the gospel writer. It says Levi, the son of Alphaeus, the tax collector. So if you read that, would that spring out to most people? Oh yeah, this is Matthew, the gospel writer. It really wouldn't wouldn't, uh, spring out into your mind, but that's who he is. So... Tax collectors are also known as publicans. And you may have heard this and you heard me read the text and you're like, what do you mean he's a tax collector? Didn't say anything about tax collecting in there. But you got to dig a little deeper to find out what sitting at receipt of custom means and what a publican is. Everybody say publican. All right. Jesus had been coming unto his own, the Jewish people, and although they were amazed by his miracles, and they, but they were not receiving him as their Messiah. He did many wonderful miracles uh, in their midst, uh, but when he was traveling around the Sea of Capernaum, uh, or the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum all the way around the Sea of Galilee, he was doing all these miracles, but they could not receive his message, because when he would stop long enough to tell them what he was about, they did not like that. They loved the great things that he did. Now here in our text, I thought the Holy Spirit, uh, the way that both Matthew and Mark separate two certain groups of people, I thought it it really kind of jumped out at me and kind of spoke to my heart. And that's kind of how God speaks to me when I bring a message to you. I've read this lots and lots of times, but there was something, Tim, that kind of grabbed me and I thought was very interesting and kind of amusing, um, but very deliberate, I'm sure, by God. So, So let's look at it and see. Now, everybody remember, Matthew was a Jew, okay? And his gospel was written from the Jewish perspective. Remember, when I did the thing, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew wrote to the Jews, right? Mark wrote to the Romans, okay? And Luke was a Greek, and he wrote to the Greeks. And John wrote to the church, okay? So Matthew is the example here of a Jew that Christ was going to make his disciple, and he's going to write the story. So Understand, if you were going to pick out somebody really good, kind of like a cabinet position of somebody good, uh, Matthew would not be a good candidate. He would never pass confirmation hearings, okay? Because Matthew was a publican. And if you don't know what that is, I'm going to make that a whole lot more clear here in just a second. So let's look at it once again. Matthew chapter 2. He went forth again by the seaside. And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. He was teaching and preaching, doing miracles around 
the Sea of Galilee. Do you guys remember me explaining this to you? Galilee is shaped almost like one of these big, uh, these big stained glass windows. And at the top, over to the left, is Capernaum. And all around the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus walked on the water. He gets out on this side, the maniac of Gadara, and he's, you know, they cast these people, the, the spirits out. He gets out, gets in a boat over here. He goes over, and the, the widow of Nain's child is raised from the dead. And so Jesus is, his whole ministry is based out of Capernaum, and he's doing miracles and teaching all around the Sea of Galilee. That's why they called them Galileans, okay? Because they were around the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> Now, as he passed by, verse 14, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at receipt of custom. And what that means is that sitting at receipt of custom is different. Do you know how this is, what, this is a very famous time of year in America? It is tax time, right? You can file your taxes already. My taxes are already filed. I filed them at one minute past the hour of when you're allowed to order them because I'm just really anxious to get hopefully to get some blessings from Uncle Sam uh, to come to my way. But anyway, so here we have, uh, they're sitting, but they didn't do it the way we, they didn't have electronic filing. And uh, they didn't have the IRS, they didn't have any of that. And so the way it would work is you would, you would go and you'd stand at this table and there would be a guy there and he would, you, know, you would talk to him and you'd have to pay your taxes. Could you imagine doing this? I mean, it's hard enough to figure out how they do this with computers and how they figure all this out. But they, people would stand in these lines and people would come by and they would pay their taxes. And they would base it, I don't know exactly the tax system, but each person every year had to pay a certain amount of taxes. And uh, Matthew worked for the, uh, the IRS, basically, collecting taxes. Now, the problem is is that Matthew was collecting taxes and he wasn't collecting them for the Jewish people. He was collecting them for who? Rome. So you kind of got to get your mind a little bit into this story to sort of understand why um, why him being what he is is so difficult. Okay. So now there are, interestingly enough, when this thing happens, this is recorded in Matthew by Matthew and it's recorded in Mark. And, and one of the most interesting things that happens here is that there are no words that pass between Jesus and Matthew. And there's nothing done. It's not like Matthew's mother was sick and Jesus healed him and he followed him. It wasn't that he, like uh, you know, Nicodemus, had a discussion with him and said, what does a man need to do to be born again? None of that, right? He walks up to him in the middle of his job. He's collecting taxes for the Romans at a table. People are in line and he walks up to him, Jeff, and he says, follow me. Now, guys, this is a pretty amazing scene. Nothing transpires here whatsoever. And Matthew records the story. And if it did, he probably would have said, Mark knew the story and nothing is said here. Matthew was not called because of something that he did or said. He was called by Jesus for no reason that we are told of here. Mark records it this way, and when we read it in Matthew, it's the same way, and it speaks something to our hearts. Are we called by God because of anything we say, anything we do? Do we, do we have the ability to stand up and go, all right, I'm going to say the magic prayer, and after I say the magic prayer, God is obligated to me from here on out. One, two, three, you ready? Repeat after me. God is not a genie in a bottle to be rubbed. 
He is not someone to be told, I now accept you as my personal savior. Now I'm not I'm not offended when people do it, but I but they're but they're not really they're not really epistemologically self-conscious here. They make it all about themselves. I'm telling you right now that the scripture says that salvation doesn't come like that. It is not by the will of flesh. It's not by the will of man. It is by the will of God. And this is a perfect picture of this, a calling of God that comes to a man when he walks by and not for anything. I mean, the man is in the middle of actually doing something that to a Jew would be disgusting. He's collecting taxes from his own people for the Romans. And Jesus walks up to that guy and says, follow me. Now, if you're reading this story and you live in their day and age, someone just went, he did what? He called who? There were people following him all around. There were things happening all around him. And Jesus walks up to a guy engaged in business that that not only did people not like, it gave him a very special name. I thought it was amazing that these two words, everybody say publican. And sinner. Now, what is, what's that about? It's repeated over and over. He's eating with publicans and sinners. Now, what do you think they mean by that, Steve? They mean he's eating with sinners and sinners. But publicans are a special breed of sinner. Right? I mean, there are a certain aloneness that comes with being a publican that's really beyond really what you're able to imagine. I mean, it's bad enough when a guy who's hungry steals some bread, right? It's bad enough when a guy does something wrong or he gets caught up in a temptation. Maybe he drinks too much, whatever. I don't know. But here you have a man who is logically heath and deliberately become a traitor to his own people, it might seem to some. And he's working for the enemy. Now, try to think of it this way. What if the Nazis had won? And so the Nazis had won, and and you go to work for them, collecting taxes from your people to send back to Germany. How popular do you think you'd be? You think the American people would be okay with that? Well, he just works for the, you know, the Gestapo, right? So it's like, there are sinners, and then there are... These guys, these traitors, these disgusting, despicable human beings, these lower than scum people. Kind of like we think of lawyers today. You know? And you might go, well, that's a little unfair. I I I really don't think so. Lawyers, by and large today, are there to help you get out of having to obey the law in many instances. And these, these defense attorneys, they'll defend a guy they know has killed five people, but they're going to really work hard to get this guy off of a crime. Or, you know, drug dealers and mafia members, if they got enough money and they got a good lawyer, those guys, we know they can get them all, literally get them all free of murder, right? You guys watch the O.J. Simpson trial? We, anybody watch that when you were young? We hung, we watched that thing and I'm like, so this guy, guilty as sin. Hires enough people, has enough money, and goes scot-free for a crime that obviously he did. Almost kind of like we think of politicians, right? They get up there and they collect money and they smile and they swear they're going to do stuff and we elect them. And what do they do? They don't do what they say at all. How many people's heart has literally almost like been broken by some of these idiots? Now, it may, it may be to you that you don't really care. But like if I go and I cast my vote for somebody... 
And I'm hoping that, you know, here they are, they, you know, they show, they got their family all in a row and they look godly and they look nice and they want to do what's right. And they're going to, and they get in office and they're a bunch of lying scumbags. How, how many people just feel totally let down by this? Come on. So in our day and age, we might say, I can't believe he's eating with politicians and sinners. I can't believe he's eating with lawyers and sinners. There was an entire classification for the lowness of what he was. We'll read it uh, from Matthew 9. He says, Jesus passed by from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, as I said, the Bible says our salvation is not by deeds of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy. Everybody say God's mercy. That we are born again, not by the will of man, but according to whose will? God's will. That's what it says, flat out. Now, if anything, it seems that Jesus may have called Matthew in spite of something. Not on account of anything, like, well, you know, he's got a good position with the Roman government. I think we'll get this guy. No, no. No, it was in spite of the fact that if you looked at him, he was the wrong guy to call. I got ahead of myself here, so I'm trying to figure out where I am. In the minds of the people of that time... Matthew was going to be among the top 12. And the Jewish people could never conceive of why would you call a guy like this? Now the problem is, is that a lot of us do not see us as who we really are. And so as a result, we, we, this is even hard for us to understand. And I know, I know you guys, you guys, some you, eyebrows are going to raise, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say next. It's a little like Donald Trump. Billionaire, owner of casinos, other places known for their ungodliness, known, he's known for his excess, his immorality. Could God not use a man like that? Of course not. God couldn't do that. I was thinking this morning about Moses. God calls a man who for 40 years would be in every way that we could think, he would definitely be a billionaire. I mean, do you think if you're the son of Pharaoh, do you think maybe you would be considered a billionaire? Donald Trump, could he might be able to build a pyramid in Las Vegas, but he could never build a pyramid like they built the pyramids. These guys were, they weren't just rich people, they were gods to the people. Now, there is something that, that, that kind of got in my heart years ago, early on in the ministry. And I said it over and over. And I don't even remember how I said it. So if I'm saying it wrong, whatever. But you'll understand the gist of it. I'm trying to find where we are here. There is nothing that we can do that can depress God. Everybody say, nothing we can do can depress God. And there's nothing we can do to impress God. We, we like to be impressed by people. We like to be impressed on their goodness, their virtue, their morality. But you see, what happens is, is people that are so impressive like that, when they do good things, a lot of people end up praising them for doing them. 
But when God uses people that aren't so impressive, in the end, people say, well, God must have done that. God takes a young baby. He puts him in the house of Pharaoh. He's raised in wealth and privilege. Some probably thought he was a traitor to his own people. And some of us, you know, you might even cheer when you hear that he kills the Egyptian at age 40. But he became his, he was a vigilante. Now, I am not for crime and I am not for people being treated bad. But Moses murdered a man. You might, well, it was against the law. He ran from the law and he left Egypt, not because he just, you know, was going to be God's man and deliver the people. He left because he was a wanted man for murder. And you might go, now, I think you're going a bit far. I am not. That's what the Bible tells us. So this man raised in wealth and privilege in the house of Pharaoh, a man who had everything, didn't understand the plight of the, the Hebrews. Yeah, he had a, a, a nursemaid that was, you know, he, he knew was his relative and, and, and all that. But at the same time, here he was. That's his past. It could be said of him, look at them. You know, this guy thinks he's somebody. But God sends him out into the wilderness to teach him that he isn't anybody. He isn't important. And he does something to him in the wilderness over these 40 years that by the time God does use the man and he's 80 years old, that the man can't even talk. He stutters. God is not impressed with anything that we can do or depressed by anything that we have done. God doesn't look at us like that. He doesn't need the great Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean he can't use him for his glory. And I went over all the things that happened at the inauguration. I'll read over them a little bit here. Trump swore an oath and office on a Bible his mother gave him, an Abraham Lincoln's Bible. His vice president, Mike Pence, swore on Ronald Reagan's Bible. They have appointed and said they would do so much more than any one of us could have ever imagined. Both our new leaders quoted scripture. Trump quotes from one of the Psalms of Ascent, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And Pence, although he didn't speak, he told people that the scripture that his heart was focused on all day was 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. You guys remember what that scripture is? Everybody say, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And then God has it rain a little bit. I, don't, I really don't know, but man... You know, I'm hopeful today. I'm hopeful. What would it be like if God has answered our prayers? I was telling some of the guys up here, I said, you know, we're looking for some great thing to happen. Do you know great things that we like, like we want to happen, Luke? They, they never happen in the Bible. And they never happen in history. It's always through a few people. Now, how many of you know people who pray on a regular basis for our nation to repent? How many of you have done things that your family looks at you and despises you for because you're going against the culture of the church of today that has gone away from Christ and away from their cultural norm? How many of you have been thought of as weirdos and and crazy for wanting to teach your children? How many of you have basically left... And said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. And if, and if you don't accept me as your family or your friend or your church or whatever. How many have left? I, we have. 
And you might go, well, I mean, we need something big to happen. Do you know, when, when you read about these stories, there's always a small group of people who repent, who call on God for the mercy for his people. And you know what the Bible says? God hears their prayer. But you know, what if God has heard our prayer? Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, we don't know if he has. But what if he has? Now, I'm not saying that those who didn't vote for this guy, most of us didn't vote for him. Most of us, our conscience couldn't even allow us to vote for him. And I think that might even be another way of God saying, you know, I don't even need you. Because what would it be? The Christian right raised up. And we got a man and we put him in office and said, oh, look at what we've done. Look at what we can do. And God says, you know what? I'm, you know, this could be the story. I'm going to make the media hate him. I'm going to make the Republicans hate him. I'm going to make the Democrats hate him. I'm going to have godly Christian people won't even vote for him, but he's going to win anyway. I mean, come on. Doesn't that, doesn't it start to sound like a Bible story to you? It's starting to sound like one to me. In the midnight hour when there was no hope, when no one would show up, you know, and it's like, here he is, here he is, here he is, this likely guy married to a supermodel 30 years younger than he is. Come on, certainly not. You know, she's so pretty. People are like, I think I got to look the other way. I mean, seriously, I mean, I can't believe this guy. I mean, you know, he's got all this money and he's like, he's so evil and terrible. And we know he said terrible things and we know how bad he's been. And I mean, seriously, all the while he's going, you know, I'd like to end abortion. Uh, I'd like to appoint godly men. I'd like to return back to where you can say Merry Christmas without this. And I'd like to, and I'd like, and, and, you're, and people are going, man, he's evil, he's terrible. And all, and all the while, God could be answering our prayers. It reminded me of a story I'll get back to. Don't be surprised if God doesn't use a sinner to turn our nation back to God. He's done it before. And I hope that you will join me in praying that he does it again. My prayer is that President Trump keeps his oath of office and that the godly influence of Mike Pence and many other outspoken godly men surrounding him will spurn him to a new life guided by God's word and nothing more. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? But let's get back to our text. Jesus sees this tax collector who's sitting collecting taxes and calls him to follow him, and he does. This is another amazing thing. Honestly, when I was a young person, uh, Jeff, this story got in my mind, and, 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 and many of you don't understand this, and some of you do understand this. Some of you, some of you know what it's like to feel the call of God and just say, that's it. I'm getting up from this table and I'm walking away from this life and I'm going to follow Jesus. And when I read this story, I think that's really the invitation of God. I call it a great invitation of God. You've got plans. You've got a future. You've got hopes. You've got things you want to do. But God is inviting us to follow him. I've dream, I dreamed about this as a child, dropping everything. Do you know, I had plans and things I wanted to do with my life, but I remember hearing God's call. 
And from that moment, I couldn't really care about anything else. <clears throat> if you ask Andrea, she knew me when I was young, and part of the reason why she didn't marry me was because I seemed like someone who just had just didn't care. And you know what the truth was? I just, Steve, I just didn't care. And God helped me along the way. You know, they're like, you know, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to keep busy until the day that God makes you a pastor. And so, you know, I said, but you know, I'm like, well, I don't really care what it is. I'll do anything. And I would go to these places and, and has anyone ever worked for a temporary service? And I would go and I worked for a temporary service and I worked at Ross Laboratories downtown. And, and there were, and the, man, if you could get in there, if you could get a factory job. See, all my, my relatives, they weren't professionals. They didn't make a lot of money. They had good factory jobs. And, and Josh, I'm like, if I could, maybe if I could get it. They're like, you need to get in on that. But you know what? No matter, I worked so hard. I did such an incredible job, Jonathan. But you know what? They never had any interest in me. And God was kind enough to me to never allow me to get in a situation I would have too much fear to get out of. Because God knows me. And so I bumbled around and I worked this job and that job and this dumb thing and that dumb thing. Because I wasn't called to any of those dumb things. I wasn't called to security. I wasn't called to uh, a lot of things. And I'm certainly not sad I listened to God's call. There must have been a line that day. There must have been some money on the table. There must have been things he thought he was going to do and others expected him to do. It doesn't say how the transition took place, but it appears to be quite abrupt. This is in stark contrast to Christ's later encounter with the rich young ruler, clean living as he was, obeying all the commandments, but unwilling to do what? To leave everything, as Matthew certainly was, and in contrast to those he called who had to bury their father, who had gotten married and needed to spend some time with the wife or had some land. Do you think Matthew didn't have anything going on? You think he was just depressed that day and, oh, you know what, I think I'll just leave the table. I think he had some plans too, but I think when, when Christ encountered him that day, all of those plans were gone. Matthew the publican, say everybody, Matthew the publican. He dropped everything while others would not. Those other people, they had some things. They were important. They had things they had to do. What happens next, though, puts emphasis on why Jesus may have called Matthew. He may have called him because he was so hated and considered so low. It's a theme you'll hear me preaching on over and over. You, if, I, if you stay at this church for years, you'll hear me preaching this over and over and over and over. You've probably heard it 50 times. God uses unlikely people, weak people, sinful people to bring glory to his name. Everybody say that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 15, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't that funny? Many publicans and sinners, many politicians and sinners, many lawyers and sinners, many scumbags. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw it, you see, this is how we can be. We can look at people and we can look at life and we can go, how could this possibly be? The scribes and Pharisees says, how can this be? Do you remember what they said about Jesus? Well, he's just the son of a carpenter. How can it be? He can't be the Messiah. His dad cuts wood. This cannot be. They said, 
How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? I think the Holy Spirit is brought this out when Jesus heard it. He said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I hear that word call. And it tells me that what God was teaching us, that Matthew's call, the call of a publican, the call of a sinner is answered when we say our plans are done. And whatever we want in life will just be given to us by you, God. Matthew records it this way. Jesus passed forth. He saw a man named Matthew. This is how we know this was him. Sitting at receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat at the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners... Same exact words chosen by Matthew. Sat down with his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why eat your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And Matthew adds one thing on that Mark did not. He said, But go and learn what this means. You know what this means? What does it mean? God doesn't like righteous people, Becky? Are there any righteous people? Aha! But there are people who sure think they are. He says, go learn what this means. You see, Jesus is calling people that are not uh, standing on the sidelines saying, you know, I'm a great draft pick. Pick me. You know what? If I got her, I could really make things better. I'm the one. Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. This is why we read Psalm 51. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I I have not understood what this meant. You see, sacrifice would not pay for the sin. It could not pay for the sin. So instead, mercy. Mercy. Remember the woman that we talked about in the beginning, in the, in, in the beginning, the woman who, in, in my greeting, who was guilty of sin, but Christ would not have her killed, right? He that has sin, he has no sin, should do what? Cast the first stone. So what was he saying by not throwing the stone? He was saying this woman's blood cannot pay for this sin. That's what mercy is all about. Mercy knows this. And even though the woman deserved to die, even though she had broken the law, Christ said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You see, her blood, her own blood being shed is like an animal sacrifice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. When they do wrong, their lives are required of them. When we do wrong, our lives are required of us. Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I like how he didn't say what Matthew had been saying. And what he didn't say, I come to call publicans and sinners. He just boils it down to one. Because that's what we all are. There are none, you know, less likely or less able to be saved by God. Because in God's sight, we're all sinners. Amen. Repeat after me. We can do nothing to impress God. And nothing we have done will depress Him. 
Yes, it rhymes, but it's handy. It's a good way to remind ourselves the simple truth that we need to bear mind in every day of our lives. Now, I'll close with the rest of the story by saying the rest of the story. We're back with Peter. Peter's in jail, right? There's a girl named Rhoda. If you read it in the King James, it calls her a damsel. I like that word. I love the king, but it just means she was a young girl. Rebecca, the damsel. I may start calling you that. Could one of my damsels please come and bring me a glass of water? And so the church, it says in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God in the church. So the church is gathered together. They're on their knees. They're saying, oh God, save Peter. Oh, we don't want him to die the death. And they probably in their mind already think he's going to die. It's already over in their mind. And their earnest prayers as they're praying, they're not willing to stop to get up as Peter has been loosed by an angel and he's there knocking at the door. So they send the little girl. Who's knocking at the door? We are engaged in prayer. And they're praying earnestly. Oh God, please deliver our brother. And our brother's already been delivered. And he's at the door. Hello, could you let me in, please? The little girl, little Rebecca, comes to the door. Her name's Rhoda. She comes to the door and she goes, ah! And she runs. And she, she forgets to open the door and she runs back in. She's like, so, she said she was so excited, she forgot to open the door to let Peter in. She runs back. Ah! And they're like, calm down, calm down. He's out there. Oh, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? You, what, what? So I'll read it for you. When, he, when, when Peter realized he was set free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And when he knocked at the door, the gateway, the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but she ran. In. I mean, can you? I love when God includes these details in his word. She left him standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. That's literally quotes right here. You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was Peter. And they kept saying, well, it might be his angel, but it's not Peter. See, what would they figure in Benita? He was going to be just like James. He was going to have his head cut off. His fate was set. And here they were praying. And when their prayer was answered, they almost missed it. Anybody starting to think of the rest of the story here? Peter continued knocking. When they opened and saw him, they were amazed. What were they so amazed about? They were amazed that their prayers had come true. They had had seen Jesus pray and the lame walked. They had seen all kinds of amazing and incredible things. They had seen uh, Peter, you know, walk on the water. But yet, when they prayed and he came to the door, they were just amazed in so much that it couldn't possibly be possible. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. I would just submit to you today. It may be that God has answered our prayers. And I would choose hope and faith and thankfulness any day over expecting and dreading the worst. Whether it be in your life, sweet Kirsten, 
or in our nation, and I'm a little more concerned about yours. But I say we trust God. I say we have hope. And maybe our prayers have already been answered. And when we see hopeful things, let us not say, oh, well, that can't possibly be. But let's get in on it. Let's get in on what God is doing. Let's look for the miraculous hand of God. Let us pray. Lord, again and again in your word, you direct us to these stories where you use unlikely people. People no one would have chosen. That's what makes the stories so good. Lord, in the end, we don't see paragons of virtue and strength, but we see scared, weak, flawed, sinful, maybe even traitors, certainly murderers and adulterers, used for your glory. It certainly doesn't make me want to be any of those things. But Lord, may I not miss the answer to my own prayers. The times that we have spent praying and longing for good things to happen in your church. Lord, may they, may they be coming upon us now. And if indeed they are, may we be hopeful. May we be thankful. And may we be ready when they come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is good and a right and a joyful thing that we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, because you sent your beloved Son to redeem us from sin and death and to make us heirs in him of everlasting life, that when he shall come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. Therefore, with the angels and the archangels and with all the company of heaven, we praise and we magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing.
I know I'm supposed to finish preaching, but I got a little bit more to say. I'm sorry. Uh, and I, and I mean, not that what I say is that important, but I really felt I should say this. Okay. Um, I have participated in saying things, and I have heard people say, and I've, I've, I've acted like the, like I agreed with them, and I, I did. But I say not so fast. Um, I have heard it said many times. We are in a post-Christian time here in our country, and I say. I say not so fast. I say we will see if we're in a post-Christian time in American history. God will be the judge of that. Things may be turned back in such a way uh, as our president said in his inauguration. He said things are going to change and they will be this way for a very, very, very long time. May God have his words come true. May uh we turn back the tide of ungodliness that has put men and women in jail for refusing to participate in homosexual weddings for, uh, you know, all of these things that as I have heard and lived through, you know, part of it has made me want to leave our country. And I finally came down to, I'm not leaving a country I haven't fought for. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not leaving. I don't care what happens. Uh, and so anyhow, I thought I'd throw that in there just for the church militant sake. Post-Christian, not so fast. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.